Good morning, church. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm kind of done with airports for a little bit, man. They're just not, they're not set up right. I don't know who to call about that, but man, every time I fly, it's just been a, been a pain in the butt. But it's, we're here. I, I joked on social media, I said, like young people that say, I want to travel, have never traveled. Nobody wants to travel, they want to arrive. Like the traveling isn't the fun, it's the arriving that's fun. And, and I have arrived here and I'm glad to be here. I'm excited, I have, a, I have a word to share with you this morning. It's a parable from Jesus. And Jesus um, was always using parables. Uh, a third of Jesus' teaching was uh, found woven inside of a parable. And uh, there's tons of parables to read. And some are as short as a verse, some are as long as 22 verses. And, uh, you know, someone said that stories may be the only container big enough to carry truth because stories not only contain the facts, but the feelings and the nuance of the truth. And that's why Jesus would tell the parables, to really capture people's imagination. And this is a, this is a, a parable that I'm going to share. A lot of times you'll see parables uh, duplicated throughout the Gospels. You'll see it two or three times sometimes. But this one is the parable of the fig tree. And it only appears in, in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 13 and verse 6. And with that, I'm going to read it. Jesus then told him this story. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard. And one day, he went out to pick some figs, but he didn't find any. So he said to the gardener, for three years I have come looking for figs on this tree. I haven't found them yet. Chop it down. Why should it take up space? The gardener answered, Master, leave it for another year. I'll dig around it, put some manure on it, and I'll make it grow. Maybe it will have some figs on it next year. If it does not, you can have it cut down. This is the word of the Lord to us today, Good News Church. And, um, you know, in this, every time Jesus tells a parable, people always try to say, okay, now who am I in that parable? Like, the Jews were asking it, the Gentiles were asking, they'd say, who, who, what am I, who am I in this story? Well, in this story, you're going to find you're, you're a couple things. We've got to start with this, we're the fig tree. We're the dead, fruitless fig tree. And Jesus is coming to say, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut it down. Judgment's going to come. But an advocate steps in and says, no, no, give it to me for another year, and I'm going to try to make it live. And, and that's a picture of Jesus who comes into our, our, our dead, fruitless lives and, and through his own sacrifice is able to sacrifice, uh, uh, satisfy the justice of God with the love of God in the, in, in the cross. That's what we see. I have one of my core memories of, as a child. Like, you know, you say, what's your earliest memory? My early, one of my earliest childhood memories is my mom bringing me to swimming lessons. My very first swimming lesson, mind you, and she was late. She runs up to the gate, you know, those community swimming pools, and there's all different types of events going on, different classes taking place, and she says, I want to sign my son up for the, um, the beginner class. And she said, I'm sorry, it's already full. And she knew I was going to be disappointed, and she was disappointed, and she says, there's one other class, but, and my mom didn't let her finish, but she said, I'll put him in it. Sign him up. Sign him up. Now, what you need to know, if she had listened, it was, but it's an advanced swimmers and diving class. <laughs> so off I go, line up, and I notice everyone's a bit taller than me in my class, which I thought was strange, but I'm trusting my mother that she's not going to put me in harm's way. And, uh, and so we go to the pool, and, and the first thing they do is they line us up behind the diving board that's about this high off the water. And I thought, I don't swim. This is a very funny technique to do. And I look at my mom, and I'm like, I don't swim. And she's on the other side of the fence going, you can do it. 
So she's thinking, I'm sure the instructor knows what he's doing. Surely the instructor would not have a kid who can't swim jump off a diving board. And I say to the, the swimming instructor, I don't swim. And he's like, sure, you're, just, you're being insecure. What mother would put their child in a diving class if he can't swim? And so he's looking at her going this way, and she's going like this, and I'm going, I'm going to die. Going, no, nobody is saying, no one's helping me. Where are the adults in the room? And so I realized there's just nothing I can do. I, I'm pleading, no, no, you can swim. You can swim. I'm like, no, I legit can't swim. And he's like, no, you can't. Of course. Why would you be in this class? So off on the diving board we go. And I look, last time I get on the diving board, I, I look at my mom, I look at him, I go, I can't swim. And just fall, fall out of the water. <laughs> I'm just flailed. And I remember, I'll never forget, this is my child memory, him going like this, and jumps in and grabs me out. And, and the whole way, I'm like, Mom, where, where were you? Why didn't you care? She's like, well, you know what I was screaming? My, my, little, my little boy heart, where is my advocate? Who's going to look out for me? Who's going to look out for me? See, we have an advocate, and his name is Jesus. Our lives are, are so hopeless without Jesus. He doesn't come to improve our lives. He comes to transform our lives. And in, in this parable, um, like I said, uh, parables highlight uh, uh, truths or doctrines or they answer questions. And, and in this parable, there's three questions that are going to get answered. Number one, do results matter to God? Number two, how do we move people from barrenness to fruitfulness? And then what happens if we fail to produce fruit? So with that, let's, let's take it line by line. It says this, a, a, a man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard. Now, it's interesting. So I told you this, the people are listening to hear who they are. A fig tree is not for a vineyard. They grow vines in vineyards. They grow grapes in vineyards. But what the farmers would do in this time, in the little margins of the field, they would plant stuff so all the soil was being used for something. They would put a fig tree in it. Now, who is he calling the fig tree? He's calling the Jews fig trees. They're like, no, we are the vineyard. We are the vine. We are the big deal around here. And Jesus was kind of giving him a little jab going, a, a farmer planted a fig tree in his vineyard. What is the vineyard? It is the kingdom of God. And he's saying, you're just over here a little bit. So right away, he's not getting off to a good footing with the Jewish people listening to him. And he says, for three years, I've come looking for these figs, and I have not found any. Some would say that this uh, three years represents the three years of Jesus' ministry. Some people think it means uh, the way in which God tried to successfully call Israel by the law, by the prophets, and by Christ. We don't, we don't know for certain. But here's what we know, is that uh, within a time of three years, there would be six harvesting seasons. Figs are harvested twice a year. And for six rounds, there's no figs. What, what does this tell us? God is patient with us. It wasn't like one bad year. It was like year after year after year. So finally, the, they say, cut it down. Just cut it down. This is the judgment that this tree deserved. If you were a farmer, you would not struggle with this. You'd say, it's a funky tree. It's a dead tree. It's not a tree. That's, that's, we're going to cut it down. This represents the wrath of God that is owed to you and to me. See, People say, how could a loving God send anyone to hell? Well, how could a just God allow anyone into heaven? Because you say, I'm good. No, you're not. No, I'm not. The Bible says no one's good but God. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So what do you do? Justice or love. Justice or love. You know, I, I, I often couple, um, see kids grow up in a dysfunctional home. Sometimes the father's abusive or overly harsh. 
And then, and then the mother feels like she has to pick up the slack and she's overly doting and over, never corrects them. So they have, they have correction in dad and affection in mom. And they grow up and they, they're trying to figure out which one am I going to be? Am I going to be an abuser or am I going to be an enabler? And it confuses the kids. See, children need affection and correction in correct balances together. They need to be corrected or they're going to be crazy. And they need, they need, they need affectionate because they, need, they feel the assurance of love. And this is what God comes to do. He goes, there is a justice that's, that's owed to, to Mark Schilling. And the wages of sin is death. Cut it down. But that would sound like the end of a hopeless story. But the truth is the cross comes and says, but, 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 but. Jesus says, but, give it to me. Give it to me. This is where the love and justice of God merge together. He says, why should it take up space? You see, what's interesting here is that I want to read Matthew 21. I believe it's on the screen. It says, early in the morning as Jesus was walking back to the city. Now, this is funny. This verse, this happens a long time after this parable of the fig tree. And it says this, early the next morning, Jesus was on his way back to the city. He was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it and found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. And immediately the tree withered. Could you imagine seeing this with your own eyes, right? When the disciples saw it, they were amazed. I bet you they were. How did the fig tree wither so quickly? Now, keep in mind, like, these guys are not the sharpest pencils in the box, but they're thinking to themselves, if he does this to a fig tree that doesn't bear fruit, okay, boys, we better get our acts together because uh, we, we have a serious guy here in front of us. They didn't fully understand who he was. They wouldn't know until he would die and be resurrected, but they watched his supernatural power being ex- exhibited in, in nature because God does have control over nature. 1 John 2.1 says, My dear children, I write this to you said that you will not sin or be fruitless. But if anyone does sin and is fruitless, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. That is indeed one of the names for Jesus is the advocate. The advocate steps in and he pleads for mercy for the tree. And Jesus did this for you and me. That's the starting point of our conversation today is that we have been saved by a wonderful Savior. What should that produce in us now? How should that transform our lives now? Freely we receive, and freely we need to give. How do we now, in response to Christ's gift, become to others what he's been for us? Now, understand, we are never going to be a Savior. We are never going to be Jesus but we should certainly grow to become like Jesus and to do for our neighbor what Christ has done for us. I want you to see three things. I won't be long, but number one, the advocate is driven by fruit-bearing, not fault-finding. See, I want you to think about this as we pray as a church together and as we hope for the future. I pray through those doors will come people from all walks of lives all stories, all ages, all races, and listen, it will be messy. It'll be messy. It'll be, there's, there's sinners. They're addicts. They're not okay. So funny. We have an older lady at my church, and this, this guy came in, and she comes up to me. She's very, she's like a mother to me. She's like, Mark, I'm telling you, something ain't right about that guy. I said, well, obviously. 
you still got to love him. There was another woman who was just like difficult. I'll just say that. I'll be nice. And, and they, the, the one leader goes to me, I don't know what would be a good group for them. I'm like, anyone will do. Oh, well, 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 she's different than everybody else. I'm like, well, we don't have a you're different than everybody else small group that they all can go together. And I go, by the way, I think you've forgotten how difficult you have been through the years and how gracious God has been to you and I have been to you and others have been to you. Let us not forget our roots. Let us not forget someone pulled us in, someone invited us out, someone loved on us, someone said, give that tree to me, give that new person to me. If we really want to see the church of God grow, We've got to be ready for whoever walks through those doors. To not just say hello to them, but love them and go deep with them. I did not choose you. You did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit and fruit that will last. It's amazing how we are just so wired to find fault in others, isn't it? We're so good at it. But we're not always so good at seeing the stuff that's in us. See, when God puts his hand on you, he imparts value to you. I'm not special, but because God has touched my life, something special has happened. How many know the name Derek Jeter? I know he's a New York Yankee, but bear with me. When he hit his um, 3,000th ball, a ball that you could buy on Amazon right now, the same exact ball, for $18. But when that man, Derek Jeter, hit that ball, that ball, in a moment, became worth $300,000. Is the value in the ball? No, it's in who touched it. And see, Christ has touched our lives, and it gives us value. And we need to understand that power for other people as they come here to say, man, if Jesus could just touch your life, it would change your life forever. There's a story, just to illustrate what I'm saying, how we're so inclined to fault-finding, in John chapter 9, and this is, I'm reading from the message, which is just a thought-for-thought book. It's not really a study Bible, but Eugene Peterson, he says this, walking down the road, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, causing him to be born blind? (laughs) Could you imagine being the blind man? He's like, I'm blind, I'm not deaf, I heard what you just said about me. You know what I'm saying? And Jesus, who's awesome, he said, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. There's no such cause and effect here. Look instead for what God can do. Listen, come on, that's, that's my prayer. You see, I, I'm a parent, and, uh, and many parents and grandparents in this room. And you know what I know about myself as a sinful dad? That when I look at my kids, I don't see them through the lens of their past or their problems or their mistakes. I look through them the lens of, of potential and future all the time. Right, parents? You can't help yourself but to say, I, I see something good in you. Why do you even get mad at your kids? Because you're better than this, man. You're better. And this is what God does for us. Is, is he ignorant to our issues? No, he is not ignorant. He, does, he, does he not care? No, he cares deep. He cares enough to die for us. But he wants us to be, as his children, those that would 
bear fruit. And I pray as we look at each other, we don't look at each other through the lens of, of mistakes or problems, but there is potential in you. There's more for you. The Bible says to love one another and to love, to provoke one another and to love and good deeds. There should be like a, a camaraderie within the church where we're kind of pushing and shoving each other towards good and better things for our lives, better marriages, better work, better praise, better spirituality. All not, We don't just go, oh, it is what it is and you are who you are. No, no, I don't want to stay who I am. I want to grow. I want to change. Listen, I love my nine-year-old. I love him just as he is, but I'm not leaving him that way. You got me? Like, if he's performing at a nine-year-old level in 10 years, I have failed as a father to move him forward. I love him. People say, Jesus loves you just as you are. Yeah, but too much to leave you that way. So Jesus says, you could come into the house, but, you know, that's called justification when you get saved. But sanctification is a lifelong process of him making us more, making us more like himself. Number two, the advocate isn't an enabler but a loving truth teller. We all, on some level, want to, people to say to us what we want to hear, right? You know, I learned, I've been married 23 years, and, and as husbands, you know, you got to learn some things, right? When you get married, no one tells you. So when your wife asks, like, for her, your opinion on her outfits, it's a minefield. It's a minefield. How do I look in these? We did family pictures last week, and my wife comes in. Of course, it takes me two minutes to get dressed, you know, put a button up and pants on, and I'm out. She comes, what do you think? And what she'll do to me is she'll say, do you like this outfit? Now, if I say yes, I guarantee she's going to change it. I don't know why she just changed it. I said, I don't know if those shoes go. She'll wear them out of spite and make sure she tells me how all of her girlfriends said she looked great in those shoes. So I'm like, babe, just wear what you want. You're gorgeous. Leave it alone. You know, what do you want me to say? What do you want? What do you want to hear right now? I'll say it. I'll say it. Just, I, I love you enough. You look what? Bad? Good? What, what, what are we doing? No, I look terrible. Oh, yes, you look terrible. Change those, of course. I, I thought this was the wonderful outfit, you know, and you're like, you know, but over time it's gotten better. But in our hearts, we want to be told exactly what we think. Hey, babe, do you think I'm putting on weight? I want her to say, no, you look skinnier than ever. But what the truth might need to be is, I have noticed you lingering around the fridge more than normal. Yeah. Something, I see you growing, you know, and I don't want to hear that, but you know what? We don't grow by just hearing the things we want to hear. Sometimes we need to hear the truth, and sometimes the truth hurts. How do we change? A great um, writer, doctor, Timothy, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Henry Cloud, gives this equation in his book, Changes That Heal. He said, change happens, it's an equation, grace plus truth in relationship over time. Truth and grace, not just truth, because just truth is harsh. You ever have someone say, hey, I'm just telling you the truth. It's like, no, you're just mean. There was someone say, oh, I'm, just, I'm just telling you the truth. It's like, you're just mean. There's a way you can say that in a way that does, is not ripping my heart out of my chest right now because it's all truth but no grace. All grace, see, see, we get grace all wrong. Grace is getting what we need. Not, and sometimes we confuse what we need. My kids will say, Ellis, I'm, I'm giving you grace right now. And what, what it is is I'm giving them something they may not even know they need, but they need it. 
And we need truth being told to us by someone who loves us is a gift from God. But it can't just be in a book. It can't be in a tweet. It has to be in the context of a relationship. You change in the context of relationship. That's the power of the church. That's why we need each other. That's why we have to see each other walking in week in and week out. And if you notice over time, that guy's walking in now, his head looks lower and lower, and his shoulders are more slumped and slumped. You get to see that with your own eyes in relationship and start to say, hey, man, what's going on? You're all right. I've just noticed lately you've been, you, seem, you seem down. You seem, you seem off. And, and, and I'm not judging you. I just I love you. I want to walk with you. Let's get together. Let's hang out. See, the, 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 uh, the farmer says, I'm going to dig around it and put some manure on it and make it grow. He didn't just say, hey, leave the tree to me. And, and he walks away and he goes, oh, good luck, good luck in the year. Hope you get some fruit because you're a dead man if you don't. No, he says, I'm going to stay here. See, love covers a multitude of sin. It doesn't cover up for a multitude of sin. Big difference there. He said, no, give it to me. And he looked right at the tree and said, you are, you are dysfunctional. You are broken. See, an enabler says, I'm, I'm fine, you're fine, we're all fine. That's, that's not true and it's not helpful. He starts to dig around the root system of that thing. See, when the Holy Spirit gets in your life, he starts to dig around the root system of your life. It's not just what comes out of me, it's what's it's inside of me that Jesus is most concerned. Because out of the abundance of what? The heart the mouth speaks. So religion always works from the outside in, but the gospel transforms the heart and makes its way out. And so when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives through, through, through his power, he starts to dig around it. And, and also, this is not just done by the Holy Spirit. It's done in Christian community where we see each other with God eyes, with potential, and we give each other permission. Not everyone, okay, because I don't want all of you to always give me your opinion every day. That's overwhelming. I think you'd all agree. You don't want that. But you know what? I need a circle of people to whom I have given explicit permission to speak truth into my life, into my marriage, into my attitude, into my preaching, into any area. And whenever they say they want to talk to me, I say, yes, I have invited you. We all need that. People that you give permission to dig around your roots by the power of God and help you to become who God wants you to be. Number three, this is where I end. The advocate is willing to see it through even to his own discomfort. This is where it gets real. Everyone, you know, we can be careful what I say. I'll st- state in my notes. But people have, people have really strong opinions about things so it actually gets on their front doorstep. So you say, oh, yeah, I really care about that issue. You want to help? No, no. But I really care. Very important to me. Do you want to donate? No. But it's really important to me. It's not really important to you. It's a preference. See, being an advocate is not a preference. It's a principle. The Bible says, go make disciples of all men. That doesn't say, it didn't say Pastor Marco do it. It means all of us are called to have someone in our life that we are discipling. You say, I've only been saved for a month. Well, then find someone that's been saved for two days and you've got a good head start on them and, and show them all the verses you've learned so far. Get them in a small group. Every single one of us in this room, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, should be seeking to build a disciple. I just want to let that sink in for a second. And could you imagine if we did? If we all truly like, said, I'm going to take this thing seriously. And sometimes, it's, like I said, grace and truth in relationship over time. It could be a years-long process before the person you're discipling even comes to church. That's okay. But you have a target. You say, this neighbor of mine, I'm going to pray for them every day. This neighbor of mine, I'm going to help them. And sometimes it's cute and sometimes it's nice. But can I tell you, sometimes it's really messy to be someone's advocate. I remember... A kid called the church years ago, probably 10 years ago, and said, can I come and see you? Didn't know who he was. He heard about our church. 
he was actually dating a girl in our church that was in like terrible rebellion, like one of these like 17-year-olds that just knows it all. She starts dating this 19-year-old kid who's no good. His parents said he's no good. And he comes to see me. So I said, okay, maybe this is a good positive thing. I said, what's going on? He goes, I, I'm in trouble, and I, I'm hoping you can help me. I said, okay, what's going on? He goes, I, I killed somebody. I hit them with my car. I was driving recklessly, and I'm probably going to go to prison. Will you come to court with me? He hit, a, he hit a, a teenager. So I remember walking to court, trying to be there with him, not, not, not to say he's innocent, he was guilty, and watching the people in that courtroom stare me down, like what kind of dirt bag would stand next to that guy? Now you might have the same feelings. But can I tell you what? I'm a dirt bag and Jesus stood next to me. And we always have a view of like, I'm way up here, how, how dare... No, listen, and was it hard? Yeah, yeah, it was really hard. It would be easier to sit on the other side of that courtroom with the victims, because I hope they had a pastor too, because they needed one for sure. But who's going to advocate for this guy? Who's going to show him Jesus in his jail cell? Someone had to do it. And sometimes advocacy can be really hard. Maybe many of you know the name Joyce Myers. Joyce Myers was sexually molested by her father all through her childhood. It's terrible. She talks about it. She wrote this in an article that was in Charisma Magazine in 2002. It says this. Two, year, two years ago, while laying on a hospital bed, weak and frail, he told her, her father, Joyce, I'm so sorry you feel I hurt you, but I don't understand what was so bad about what I did. Meyer said that with incredible sadness, she left the hospital room, not knowing if her father would live through the, through the night, and certain that if he died, he'd go straight to hell. God told her that she was to move him closer to her house and take care of him. It was a very difficult act of obedience. Meyer's husband, Dave, strongly disagreed with the plan. I, as a husband, I, I can feel that. But it was soon confirmed that God had spoken to Joyce, and Dave agreed to follow his leading. Every chance she got, Meyer showed her father she loved him. Every need he had, she met. She bought clothes and food and made sure all the basic needs were met. One day, Meyer's mother found him crying. He called Joyce, asking her and Dave to come over right away. When they arrived, they broke down in tears again. And listen, he says, I'm so sorry for what I did to you. I wanted to say this to you for a long time, but I didn't have the guts, he said. Then he looked at Dave and began to weep. Dave, I'm sorry for what I did to you. I'm sorry for hurting, for hurting your wife. Please forgive me. Meyer's knew that in that moment, a miracle of salvation was there for her father. She knelt beside him, and together they prayed the sinner's prayer. A few, a few days after, Myers came back to the house after her mother reported that he'd been doubting his salvation. She used God's word to encourage him. He then asked jo Joyce to baptize him. Myers baptized her father on December 2nd, 2001, in front of hundreds of onlookers at Dream Center at Joyce Myers Ministries, started the inner city of, of St. Louis. Though her father's health remained frail at present time, Myers reported that his soul is healthier than it has ever been. Myers has never mentioned her father's name in public in order to protect him. She also has chosen not to release her maiden name. That is hard advocacy. She had every right and reason to stand like this with her father, let someone else pray, someone else do. But in, this, in spite of his hard-headedness and unrepentance, she decided, I'm going to keep being the gardener. I'm going to keep digging. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep 
going. And listen, is this for everyone every time? No, she heard from God and, and it proved to be his voice because God blessed her in it doing it. This isn't for everybody. We'll be clear about that. But I want you just to see what God can do when we say yes to his voice. See, when we come to church, we make a decision every Sunday. Am I going to be there for my comfort, make, make, make sure I have a good time at church, or am I going to exist at church on a Sunday morning to make it easier for somebody else? Am I going to make you more comfortable, or am I going to strive to be more comfortable myself? See, if I strive to be more comfortable myself, I won't have eyes for your needs. But when I show up to church, and you say, well, you're the pastor. Okay, you got me on that one. But even if I wasn't, every one of us is called to walk into the room and say, who could I bless here today? Yeah, hopefully we'll be blessed by the preaching. Hopefully we'll be blessed by the worship. But, but on a personal level, you should be saying, what maybe could I be doing to help somebody else? I love this story. I grew up, um, I don't know if anyone, anyone remembers the name Jim Baker. It's a little bit of a throwback, but he had a big, big old ministry. Uh, but he was making some pretty big mistakes, to say the least, that landed him in prison. He was shamed. Everyone who knew him, who, who, who associated themselves with him in the Christian community, ran for the hills, man. They, he was too hot to handle. They didn't want their names connected to all that had happened. And, and they just, uh, he, was, he was like he had the plague, man. No one wanted to be around him. And he goes from living in a mansion with a, a dog house with air conditioning in it to a prison cell. And he wrote a book called, I Was Wrong. <laughs> it's a good title. And this is what he writes. He said, my job in prison was to clean the latrines. One day I was cleaning my, and my jumpsuit was filthy from the splashes of my dirty job. The guard came to me. He told me there was a visitor to see me. I said, I don't want to see anyone. Tell him to go away. It was only a few days earlier that my wife had announced she was divorcing me. The guard said, you'll want to see this person. So I agreed to go. I didn't even change. The guard said, are you going to go like that? He said, this is my life now. Who cares? I walked in the visiting room, and as I entered, I saw Dr. Billy Graham and his wife. And he walked to me. I love this. It gets, me, it gets me choked up. He walked to me and wrapped his arms around me and said, Jim, I love you. And as I cried, I cried. Here's this man that had lived such a pure life, embracing someone like me who'd done so much wrong. We sat and talked, and then he prayed, and everyone else in the room prayed. When you feel like you're worthless and someone like that comes, it's really shocking. Yeah, it's really shocking. But can I tell you what? All of us have dirt. Some of us, you just can't see it on us. But we all, I don't know about you, I want to feel like people love me and believe in me and strengthen me. And you want the same thing too. And everyone who walks in the doors of this church wants the same thing. But it's not a fleshly thing. It's not a pump you up, motivational talk. It's like, no, I need Jesus and you need Jesus. Let's go to Jesus together. Listen, I'm dependent on Jesus. You're dependent on Jesus. Let's go to Jesus together. I'm so excited for the future of this church. I, I believe that something good is about to happen. I believe that something good is on the way. God has been so good to this church through the years. And I want to invite Pastor John to join me on stage. I, I want us all to stand at this time. I think, Pastor John, you might need a, a microphone. Maybe you could use this one here. But we're just going to pray. But if you'd stand to your feet, I want to bless you guys today. I want to pray that this would be our heart. First, that we would be uh, just taken by the reality of what Jesus has done for us. How he has ransomed us and saved us and brought us out of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, Jesus. And listen, we want to pray this, that as people walk in the door, they would find a room full of people that have the hands and the feet of Jesus. So you know what? You're not just going to get Jesus. You're going to get a family. 
And so would you bow your heads? I'm going to ask Pastor John to lead us in prayer first. I love you. Thank you, Lord. Lord Jesus, thank you for Mark. Thank you that you're in all of this, God. And I think back 14 years and a month ago, how you've guided us all the way through and where we've come from and how you've been there all the way through, leading and guiding us as your church, us as your people, part of your kingdom. And I thank you that you're here now, Lord, and we're grateful. Lord, I thank you so much for the way that you've led us all the way from the Genesis Center to the Opera House and here and into the community in different ways and different ministries. I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for your guidance and for your blessing in ways that we've tried to be a church like what Mark is talking about, a church that loves people um, that aren't very lovable, loves people. It gets kind of messy. But we want to be that kind of church, that kind of a welcoming church. And, Lord, I hear again and again how people feel that way when they come in here, and I just thank you for that. And, Lord, I thank you for Mark, and I, I just pray your special blessing on him. Because, Lord, as you know, through this whole process, from the very time I talked uh, with Mark, I felt a kindred closeness and friendship with him. And that, that you were working, and you were bringing him. And I think it is, it is no... Uh, mistake. It is no serendipity. It, it, you, have, you have brought this about. You have guided us through this whole process. And I am so thankful, Lord, because you know how much I love these people and this church and how I've tried to be faithful. And I just thank you so much that you have brought Mark here. And I pray for your blessing on him right now, your special blessing on him. And it's not just where we've come from, God, but it's where you're going to take us, where you're going to take this church. And I'm so excited as, as like a, a, a part of this church, that, Lord, you have big plans for this church. You have big plans for these people, for this church, for our family, and for Mark and for his family. So I'm so grateful, so grateful to you, God. And I just pray and extend my blessing, Lord, to Mark and also to, to your church. Mm -hmm. And thank you for your blessing and for your goodness. And Mark, if you would continue to pray. I don't know if I might there. Lord, we just thank you again, Lord, for what you've done, Lord. We're so thankful. But, Lord, I know the best is still ahead. Lord, where there's breath in our lungs and you're sitting in heaven, God, you're, you're working a pl good plan for this church and for this city. Lord, I pray on a very specific note for each one of us as we leave this place today. We wouldn't just be hearers of the word, but we would be doers of the word. Lord, give us eyes even now to think, who would it be? Who could I reach out to? Who could I encourage? Who could I bless? Who could I help? Who could I be an advocate for? God, give us your hands and feet, your heart. Lord, we pray your grace to be on us and to flow through us this week for, for your glory and for our good. Lord, keep us safe until we gather again next week. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus. Come on, everybody said amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Hopefully I'll get to see you after church. Have a blessed week, and we'll see you next week here at Good News Church. Bless you guys.